like I said, I was miserable. And she looked at me and said, only you are responsible for your own happiness. And it just like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh. It just felt like, oh, I've got to do something. This is Epic Ordinary Lives Podcast. Welcome to episode 33 of Epic Ordinary Lives, the podcast that rests in the idea that the story of your life is a hero's journey, and that telling that story is helpful to other people. I like to focus on the pivotal moments in somebody's life that changed everything, those decisions that were made, those challenges that were overcome. And more than anything, the lessons that that person learned that I hope can help you in your own life, even if you've lived an entirely different life, an entirely different story, because I think that's a unifying aspect of us all, that we can, we can see how each other overcomes as a way of, of helping ourselves overcome. And that's particularly relevant for this week's episode with Seth Budai. He's a return guest, and this episode is very much about the, the lived experience of being in the wrong place, of being perhaps in the wrong literally physical space in the world, and sometimes being just in the wrong situation, maybe the wrong job. And I, I don't say that word, uh, those words with the idea that, <laughs> that there's always a right place or, or a wrong, even though I said that, but we can, we can be in situations that are not in the greatest alignment with what is our path or what is good for us. And w- what's really powerful about this episode is that we go through, he and his wife, finding themselves in a chapter where things were not great and he was sort of drowning in his career. And, and this is a story of what do you do to get out of that place? What do you do to take the necessary risks to move in greater alignment with what you need? And this is not a singular linear step that he took, that, that both of them took. This is a, a journey that is described. And it's really the journey around trying to find home. Trying to find what is one's unique sense of home. And I think, of course, this is going to be different for every person. But the first part is finding, you know, de- kind of deciding what what. What does it feel like when I'm home? What is the place that I need to live? And and so this will be as a little bit of a departure from the standard episode release structure that I've been going with. This is going to be a two-parter because the first part is going to be devoted to this journey of 
overcoming these challenging situations and finding home. And then the next part, which we'll release next week, will be really focused on his launching of his business, The Elemental Trainer. So I'm reading from his bio. Seth Budai is a physical educator and an embodiment coach based out of Asheville, North Carolina. Seth has been in the wellness field for the last 15 years, teaching in diverse disciplines from competitive martial arts to Olympic lifting. He is the founder of The Elemental Trainer, a coaching business that helps people reach their true potential through movement, education, and embodiment practices. If you want to check out what he's doing, you can find him at theelementaltrainer.com. I do want to mention that in this episode, we reference the term MoveNat because he is one of the coaches for MoveNat. MoveNat is a discipline, a physical movement, natural movement discipline. If you want to learn more about MoveNat, you can listen to episode 9 and specifically episode 10 of Epic Ordinary Lives. If you're enjoying Epic Ordinary Lives, uh, thank you so much for listening. The absolute most appreciated way you can support what I'm doing if you want to help me is to write a review on Apple iTunes. It takes just a minute. It means so much for those that have written reviews It helps get the word out and helps raise the stake of Epic Ordinary Lives in the podcast world. If you want to check out older episodes, you can go to epicordinarylives.com. If you really want to support what I'm doing, also just share it with someone. If you liked the episode, share it with a friend, share it with a family member. So without further ado, please enjoy this journey of a conversation with Seth Budai on Epic Ordinary Lives. So I am back with Seth Budai. Actually, am I pronouncing your last name correct? I, I think I've asked you that before. You are, yeah. It's uh, it's Hungarian, and it's uh, it was taken from when Budapest was formed. And um, Budai was one of the last names that were formed to make Budapest. So it's kind of like one of the origins to the, uh, to that area. And, uh, if you go over to Hungary, they actually have like Budai cafes and Budai hotels. And, uh, it's like a pretty popular name. So (laughs) I feel like that could easily find itself in a movie where, you know, in it kind of like Harry Potter where, or that a book, I should say a giant book series where, you know, you're the guy that lives in, in your aunt and uncle's like basement. And yet in another world, you are a famous, powerful chosen wizard. <laughs> you know, like your name is everywhere in, in, in that part of the globe, <laughs> which of course you're not Harry Potter here. It kind of sounds like a Marvel movie that starts out with the guy in the basement and then eventually finds out that he's some kind of royalty or something. Exactly. Exactly. So I, the last time we spoke, you were in a radically different life situation, job situation, and we're we're going to tell a little bit of how you got there, but I think because we're going to talk so much about 
this leap that you've made into entrepreneurial pursuits, I just want to stay there first for anybody who may be listening who has thought, I want to start a business someday. I want to do my own thing. Was was the the goal of becoming an entrepreneur, was that a dream that you've had for a very long time? Or, or how, where does that fit in your life? Um, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting question because depends on when you would have asked me that question would depend a lot off of probably how, what I would say or what I would have thought about it. Cause honestly, I think for a long time, I kind of resisted it. I didn't really want to start my own business. And some of it was just, I thought like I had heard from a lot of people like, Oh, it's really difficult. You'll have a really hard time. You won't make a lot of money doing it, but it's like a passion project. Um, I'd even like looked in, you know, I, when I went to college, which was like kind of right after high school, I took a business course and I did terribly. I, I scored an 11 and had to drop the class cause I was doing so terribly in it. And it just kind of like, it always made me think like, um, I guess just not gifted at that. It was like something where I had in my mind that if I was going to do any type of business, I needed somebody to be like the business side of it. So I needed to be like the, the person who could bring the passion. I'd always been somebody who was extremely passionate about what I did. So it's something that I knew, well, if I kind of partner up with somebody who really can, can know the books and can, can do the finances, then, you know, I can just do what I love and, you know, it, it can be a, a good success. And I, I think for a long time, that was like my out. That was like my relinquishing of responsibility mm. and uh, was a way that kind of like, I could kind of always compartmentalize and say like, oh, well, I'm just not good at that. So I don't want to do that. Um, but if I, if I do anything that requires, you know, if I do anything where I would be some type of owner in a business, I would be the person who would be like boots on the ground. And then I'd have somebody else that would be the kind of the back end of things. And so fast forward to, well, I don't know how, how fast you want to get into me actually starting my business. Well, it, yeah, no, what a great, cause I think you're not alone with that setup, right? Like uh, some folks, I mean, I, I think you can both have a, uh, way of looking at entrepreneurship, at least speaking for myself, with rose-colored colored glasses. Not that I have the experience to to say one way or the other, but I, I know at one stage I looked at it and I, I heard a lot of folks say, oh, you know, you're, you're like staying up late, filling out IRS forms, stressing. And I, I felt a similar way in terms of like, uh, this is this is a mountain that it, it apparently takes a whole lot to climb. And I don't want to uh, view it as a small thing. Um, so let's, yeah, let, let's go into your story. And I would say there is a, a very specific period of time where your, your, your call to this path, it seems like, was really loud. So you might, might have heard whispers of it, and, and you've done very similar work in a lot of different ways for years. But I think maybe you choose where you want to take it, but I do think that there's a specific chapter 
that really led to this lead domino being flipped? Yeah, I definitely think uh, there's been a couple of things that have been like big, like hints from the universe of like, if you don't do this now, I, I don't know how many more hints to give you. <laughs> Keep going. Just go ahead and do the thing. And um, so I would say probably the biggest jump was when I would, let's see, this has been, I guess about three years ago, I was, well, let's, let's back up to about four years ago. So I was living in Knoxville at the time and I was working for a company called Iron Tribe Fitness and still have a ton of respect for them. I really like what they do. Uh, they're kind of like a group fitness program that is similar in a lot of ways to, um, it was basically a boutique fitness thing. So, you know, a lot of lifting, but it's mostly in a group environment. So it's usually like 15, 20 people. And I had been a coach for them for a good while before um, the venture to uh, this domino effect kind of started. So anyways, I'm in Knoxville, me and my wife, my wife is going to school at the time. And I am, uh, yeah, I'm working full time for this company. Anyways, the, the gym that I was working for, so this is like a franchisee of uh, this organization, they ended up going under. So that gym shut its doors after several years, which was really sad to see because I thought it was a really awesome gym. Um, just had some, you know, some issues. And long story short, when they closed their doors, um, I got offered I kind of was torn when the gym shut its doors because I had been a full-time trainer for a long period of time at this point. And I was trying to figure out like, okay, do I just go and get some like office job and, you know, twiddle my thumbs until something else comes up? Do I uh, try and, you know, start a business while I'm in Knoxville? Knoxville, knowing, knowing in my heart that Knoxville is not ultimately where I wanted to live. Or do I figure out something else? Well, while I'm trying to figure this out, like I said, my wife is in school at the time. So, um, you know, I'm kind of the, the main breadwinner. So I'm trying to figure out like, well, what am I going to do to try and kind of like bring, bring in some money? So I get offered a position in Nashville to work for the same company that I was working for uh, previously. And, you know, it's a pretty good position and it's, you know, it's a, definitely a step up for me, both financially and in the position. And, you know, Nashville's my home, uh, my home city. So, you know, it's kind of a weird thing. Cause I'm like, well, I don't really want to go back to Nashville, but there's a lot of safety in it. And there's a lot of like, it can, you know, it could work out. It could be okay. Um, but it would definitely wouldn't have been my first choice. The nice thing about it though, is that Chessa, my wife was going to school at the time and the, she was going to UT, UT Knoxville and UT actually has a campus in Nashville. So it worked out really well for us to both be able to move and her to be able to finish out her degree while I was um, being able to, you know, like I said, move up a little bit in what I was doing and trying to kind of figure out what I was going to do ultimately. Mm -hmm. So we went ahead and made the move to Nashville and like I said, it wasn't really my first choice. It wasn't really what I ultimately wanted to do, but it was kind of the safe choice. And so while we were in Nashville, I was kind of, I was in the throes of trying to do a couple of different things. I was trying to make sense 
of really getting into the meat of where I wanted to go in my career. Because up to this point, I kind of felt like I had gone as far as I could in what I was doing. Um, I'd been, to give you a little bit of a, a, a rewind and then fast forward, <laughs> when I first started getting into the fitness and training aspect, I started out kind of doing personal training and working one-on-one -on -one mostly with clients. And the reason I got in with Iron Tribe Fitness was that I wanted to really get good at group training. And I did a lot of research and found them because they had a really, really good reputation for developing really good group fitness trainers. And at the time, I didn't have a lot of experience as a group fitness trainer. So I wanted to get in with them. Long story short, I ended up moving to Florida in order to get in with that company. Um, I ended up working with them quite a bit and ended up kind of moving my way up the ranks and uh, really learned a lot and was able to actually get into doing some development coaching where I was working with other coaches and helping to develop them. Um, so needless to say, I kind of worked my way really as far as I could in the way that I wanted to work it, uh, working for that company. But taking it back to Nashville, um, that's what I was doing in Nashville was I was doing um, kind of a combination of still coaching some classes, but also getting to develop some new up and coming coaches and allow them to kind of showing them the ropes, the ins and outs of what it takes to be a great coach. And I really enjoyed doing that, but I knew ultimately Nashville wasn't where I wanted to be. And ultimately there were some other things that I felt a little limited with in terms of what I was doing and where I wanted to put my passion because I felt like I was still living someone else's dream. Like I didn't feel like I was ultimately in charge of my own destiny. I, destiny. I felt more like it was, okay, I am, you know, I'm a piece on the, you know, to, to reference chess again, I'm a piece on the board, but I'm like, you know, I'm maybe a pawn. Like I'm not, <laughs> I don't really like that. Like, when people use that, it's usually a very negative connotation. That's not really how I mean it. I mean more that like I wanted to be in more control of what I was doing. And so I decided uh, my wife and I, after she graduated, while we were in Nashville, we both decided Nashville was not ultimately where we wanted to be. We didn't really know exactly where we wanted to be. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I think that this is a great place to linger for just a moment on what not right feels like because you were in Florida you 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 know just to kind of look at this path you've taken you were a trainer you wanted this skill you were in Florida for a piece of it you were in Knoxville for a piece of it and you're you're now at this part of the story in Nashville and it sounds like none of these places quite feel right what does that feel like I think a lot of people can can uh, understand this and relate to this, but for you, what did that feel like in your life, in your body, in your day-to-day? -day? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of it, when I was in Florida, it was probably the first time in my life that I felt um, almost like a, uh, it's hard to kind of describe because I would say, it was a mixed feeling because when I initially decided to move to Florida, um, it was a big move for, for my wife and I, because we were basically moving about, about 14 hours away from our home. So it was like a very, very big move. And that meant 
moving away from our family, moving away from our support network, um, all of our friends, like we didn't know anybody down there. Um, in a lot of ways, it was a pretty stupid move in my opinion. <laughs> um, but I definitely learned a ton from it. I probably learned more in one year of being in Florida than I probably could have learned in eight or nine years of staying in the same city. So I do think that like it was much needed for me to accelerate the growth of where I wanted to be, but it was extremely uncomfortable because it was moving out to the middle of, you know, if anybody knows what Naples, Florida is like, it's a retirement community. It's definitely not a, you know, a, a town that's suited for, uh, you know, a younger 20 something. <laughs> it's kind of a, an area where, you know, it's, it's an area where a lot of ultra wealthy live, which means that it's not an area that it's easy to really do anything fun that's cheap or inexpensive. <laughs> Everything's extremely expensive, um, whether that's the food or whether that's, you know, I mean, just to give you an example, like the few things you could really do that were fun down there were, you know, you could go like out on, on the water, for instance, well, that means you've got to rent a boat or you need somebody who has a boat, um, which is, again, things that cost a lot of money. So things that, you know, nothing against them. I mean, they're super fun. But if you're, a, you know, like I said, a young 20 something and uh, you're just kind of starting out on your career path, you, you don't really have the finances to try and do anything really fun. <laughs> so um, needless to say, it kind of in a lot of ways just felt very soul sucking because I was down there kind of away from, from family, away from friends. Uh, me and my wife, you know, we were the only support network for each other. And uh, just to give you an idea, because the gym that I was working for was super understaffed, I was working crazy hours. So I was working like, you know, most days I would get up at like five 30 in the morning. Uh, well, no, I get up at like, I take that back. I get up at like 4.30. I'd wake up. I'd kind of have my smoothie, make it to the gym by like 5.15 because our first class was at 5.30. And, um, and then I would work, you know, I'd sometimes work a uh, kind of an all-day thing where I'd have like about 11 classes that I would be teaching over the course of a day, which if you know how much energy it takes to do a group fitness class, 11 classes is no joke. It's uh, very difficult to do that many classes in a day. Um, and so I might have some breaks in the middle of the day, but needless to say, I was like so burned out. I, I had zero energy left. Um, and so, you know, I, you know, me and my wife, we didn't really get to hang out or have time, you know, to, to spend with each other, going to eat at restaurants or doing anything fun because I was just working like crazy. Right. Um, and needless to say, it was, like I said, very, very hard. And I get to a point where um, it was really tough on our marriage. It was really tough on like just life in general, just felt very, very tough. And I kind of got to a deciding line of like, well, I can either, continue to be miserable, um, hope for something to change, or I can, I, I had a, one of the clients that I trained down in the gym, um, I actually still think of this moment because it was like a very big moment where she took me aside and said, you know, I was basically just, like I said, I was miserable. And she looked at me and said, only you are responsible for your own happiness. 
And it just like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It just felt like, oh, I've got to do something. If I want a change, I've got to do something. And it was very like, it was kind of a mixed bag of like, okay, why have I not done something up to this point? And like, who did I expect to change it kind of thing? Like, I'm the one that has the power here. And I've kind of like acted like I'm so self-defeating and so like miserable, but like I'm miserable because I've made myself miserable kind of thing. And so I literally like the next day, I think I called up my boss and was like, Hey, I'd really like to meet, um, have like a sit down conversation. And so I, I met and basically told, you know, I was originally, my intention was when I moved down there to stay down there for about three years. And when I met with my boss, I was like, listen, you know, I, I enjoy the gym. I really feel like I'm learning a lot, but I am absolutely miserable and I can't keep going like this because it's not going to be good for anybody if I do. Um, and so I just, you know, basically had a heart to heart and said like, you know, I don't know what to tell you, you know, we'll, we'll figure things out. It was kind of a, you know, it was, it was a bad timing because I had just, um, decided to go for some continuing education that my company was going to be paying for. So I kind of knew that like by doing this, I was like kind of getting myself in a bad situation because they had just forked out this money for me to go to the certification. And I didn't really have the money to be able to pay for it. Um, But I knew that like, I just knew that if I didn't do something, um, it wasn't going to get any better. It was only going to get worse. You know, so, and I knew that I had to take control of the situation and do something. So that's when I kind of said like, this is the situation. This is where I'm at. This is what I need to do in order to, you know, basically for, for myself, for my own sanity, for my marriage, for my happiness long-term, for all those things, I've got to make a change. And so I basically had zero plan whatsoever. I didn't have any fallback. I basically just said like, I'm going to make my way back up to Tennessee, whether that, whether that means I need to, you know, take really crappy jobs. If that means I need to try and go back to where, where I was at before at the gym, I was at before, um, whatever I need to do, I need to do something to reverse my situation that I'm currently in. And when I decided to do that, that was really like the, um, I think in a lot of ways that was me you know, when, you know, when they're at the circus and the guy gets in the cannon to get shot, that was like when I got in the cannon and decided, okay, go ahead and, you know, <laughs> launch me and yeah. I'll figure out where I end up. Light the fuse. I, I think I'm really glad that we went there because that switch that was flipped from that person's comment to you, you know, that, that realization, that, that moment of like, oh, like it's me, you know, or, or it's, it's my, it's my choices. And, and so you, you got to such a low place that you, you made this decision really quickly. And I want to know, what did it feel like? You were uncomfortable. You were in many ways, it's almost as though y'all were, you know, you, you had gone to this strange land and all that you had known is no longer with you. Your support structure is rattled down to the two of you. There's a lot of discomfort there. <laughs> but then in order to get out of this situation, you're you're using the metaphor of a cannon. So what did it feel like as you were telling your boss, essentially a breakup, 
is what you're yeah. giving them. What what did that feel like? I mean, it's one of those things where um, I think that conversation would. So let me say this. I have intentionally put myself in a lot of uncomfortable situations over the course of my life um, because I believe very much that, you know, discomfort leads to growth and leads to a lot of um, real self-development. Like it really is something that the more you can get in, in that willing mode of putting yourself in that discomfort, you really are putting yourself in a, in a place where you can, where you can grow and you can really allow for the life that you want for yourself. And I think I had up to that point, I had already had lots of different conversations over the years with different bosses and different, like just very difficult conversations. I I've gotten very accustomed to what a difficult conversation in person, face to face, what that feels like. And so I think for a lot of people, that's a mode, especially now with like how custom people are to like texting and using, you know, kind of using the out of like emails and texting and like not really having to be face to face with somebody. I think it's in a lot of ways, it's made it where uh, the conversations that should be the areas of growth have kind of become areas of like uh, sneaking out of things. Mm. I kind of hate to put it that way, but uh, I do think that there is just a ton of growth that comes from very uncomfortable pressurized situations where you have to tell somebody something that you know is not going to be like the most well-received thing. Mm -hmm. And so you know, when I got in that mode of like, okay, I need to just, you know, kind of say, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm doing kind of thing. Really, it was a lot of relief for me because it was like the conversation wasn't really like, I think for a lot of people, the conversation would be like, oh man, I don't want to have this conversation. How are they going to react? What are they going to think? It was more like I had gotten to a place where I was super comfortable with the decision that I had made. And it wasn't like I was doubting at all my decision. It was, this is my decision and you can think or react however you're going to react. And we'll figure out what, you know, what it is after the fact, but it's not, to me, it wasn't like a, Oh, I'm not going to say anything because I need to worry about this person's feelings. It was, I'm at a place where I need to understand that my feelings need to take priority because I'm in charge of my happiness. Like I just kept going back to that. Like if I don't do something, who else is going to, you know, it's, you know, ultimately, and I think it's a really empowering moment for people to get comfortable with is realizing that like you have more power than you think you do, you know, no matter what the situation is. Um, and there's always, obviously there's always situations that um, you can make the argument where someone gets to a very powerless position and, I don't want to discredit that, but I do think most of the time you get into situations where you feel very uncomfortable and you feel this pressure. And a lot of times what you're feeling is not you, it's the other person. And when you start to realize that you start to realize like, Oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm constantly thinking about how they're feeling and how they're reacting. And I'm not taking charge of how I feeling or how I am re reacting, um, it really puts you in a different mode because it helps you to realize that like, 
you know, who's going to stick up for you? You know, people are, there are definitely people who are very considerate, but I would say that's the minority in terms of uh, how you're at interacting with people. And it doesn't mean you have to be a jerk or anything. It just means that you want to stand up for, you know, for who you are and what you need, you know, like if you need something and you don't voice that, no one, you know, no one's going to be able to read your mind. You know, you've got to be able to say, and that goes for relationships that goes for, you know, even like, um, business situations. It goes for all kinds of things. Well, it's very powerful because it sounds like the harder part was getting to that place in your own mind to advocate for what needed to happen for you to, to move in a greater place of happiness. And so you, you, you get in the cannon, you, you light the fuse, what happens next? Take us there. Yeah. I mean, I think the, honestly, like the hardest part of it was that I, I'm very much a man of my word and somebody who I like to, um, I like to be as, um, as thought out in the way that I approach something as possible so that I'm not, um, putting someone in a bad place if I can help it. So when I got to that situation, I basically said like, this is where I'm at and it was still going to be. So I basically said like, well, my apartment lease ends at this date. It was like three months out. So I was like the situation of where I'm at, I can't go any further than that date, but I'll give you that date. So I kind of came into it knowing that like it was going to be a little while before the actual action of moving away was going to be, um, which was honestly way harder. So, cause once I like had kind of set the tone of like, this is not where I want to be. I want to be, you know, back closer to family. There's a lot, a lot of things that, um, a lot of reasons why I needed to leave, um, Florida or in that part of Florida, um, but really what it came down to was that after I had said everything of like, you know, I'm going to be moving, going to be going back to Tennessee, it was okay. Now I have this like three month period where I kind of have to make the best of it because I know that like I'm on the track towards, you know, hopefully being in a place that I want to be in, but I'm not there yet. Right. And even though I've stated like, this is, you know, this is where I'm at in my discomfort and where, you know, where I'm at in, uh, where I want to be, that kind of thing. It still was kind of having to sit and wait mm. and the waiting, you know, for anybody who's been there is by far the hardest. And so during that waiting period, I was scrambling to try and figure out like, okay, am I going to stay with this company? Am I going to try moving to a different location? Am I going to move back to Nashville and try and get my old job back? Am I going to, you know, move to some other area? And as I was doing that, um, I was trying to contact people that I knew in different areas and trying to figure out and just kind of scramble to try and figure out like, well, what am I going to do with my life? Cause I don't have any safety net. And as I was doing that, it really, I think in a lot of ways helped me uh, to kind of, get a different perspective on things because I had like set the tone of like, I'm not happy. This is where I'm at. This is where I want to be. I had like kind of laid everything out there where like it was very transparent. 
kind of everybody around me knew what was up, what was going on. Um, I, you know, I hadn't, I obviously didn't tell the people that I was like training at the time, like, Hey, I'm going to be moving in a couple of months. But, uh, for the most part, like anybody I was close to kind of knew what was happening. And that's kind of when I think the magic started. So that's mm. really when like I had taken control of the situation. The waiting was really, really hard because I wanted to move away. I wanted to get out of Florida. Didn't really want to be there anymore. Um, but I knew that like there was just, I had to wait it out. I had to be patient and I had to just sit. And I knew that the right thing was going to come along. And by waiting, I ended up getting in contact with, um, with the, so I was kind of friends at the time with the guy who was like, uh, the president of the company that I was working for. And he was, um, I basically kind of, kind of gave him a window into the situation and, um, tried to kind of let him know like, Hey, I'd like to be in Tennessee. If, you know, I know it's kind of a long shot, but if you, you know, know of any gyms that might be looking for, for somebody. And long story short, I ended up getting connected with the Knoxville gym. And I can honestly say the people that I met and then the experience I had in Knoxville was possibly the most, um, the most radically opposite and different in terms of like just feeling happy again, mm. um, that I could have possibly imagined for. So when I moved back up to, to Knoxville, you know, I was working for the same company. Um, it wasn't the same owner, right? So it's like franchises. So they all are owned by different people. Um, but it was so different being in like, not only was I in a city that I really, truly loved, like I absolutely, even to this day, I love Knoxville, Tennessee. Like I think it's a, an awesome place, college town, super fun, lots to do. Um, and the, the other trainers that I worked with, uh, were so like, it was such a, it was such a different experience than what I had experienced up to that point. And some of it was just, I was happier. So it was like, obviously, you know, it's kind of like the, like you were saying before, like rose colored glasses, like when you're happy, you start to see everything in a different light. And that was transformative for both, uh, my marriage and my relationship with my wife. And also just for like my own, like enjoyment, like I was enjoying coaching again. I was enjoying like having like, you know, I would still get up real early in the morning a lot of times, but I was happy to do it because I loved where I was living. I wasn't burned out at work. I would, I had a much happier experience. Um, and I, you know, I was getting paid more. So I was much happier there. The cost of living was like way less than what it was in Naples. So it was almost like I got a big pay jump because I was, you know, in an area where it didn't cost as much to get something, you know, as far as like rent and food and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I was making more working a lot less. And so it was kind of like, everything was like, wow. Like it was kind of like the, uh, I, I had to kind of like go through the fire to get to it, but it was like, Oh wow. Like this is what, like a, this is what a sustainable, happy life looks like. Like it was kind of like my first taste at what that like, um, Cause up, up till then I kind of didn't really have like a solid career. And I feel like it was kind of the first time where I like could ha- kind of have my hands on it where I was like, Oh, like this is what people mean when they're like, Oh, they're pretty content with their life. Like they're pretty happy and like things that are, you know, pretty enjoyable. And like, not to say that there weren't like, I mean, like just to give you an example, 
the house we moved into when we moved up to Tennessee was like terrible. It was like in shambles. It was like, it might as well have been, you know, demolished because it was like in such bad shape. But I like still to this day have a little bit of like, um, I'm still a little endeared to that house because it was like, it just felt like a breath of fresh air. It just felt like as in a, as in a completely different mode, a different like, and it was just so much of it was just the fact that it was like, I had spoken up for myself. I had said like, this is what I, you know, this is what I need. This is what I desire. And then it came to fruition. And when it came to fruition, it really made me feel like, Oh, like, wow, it can happen. Like you can desire something, you can get it and it can be a good thing. You know, it, it doesn't feel like, Oh, I have to like go through this arduous task. You know, it can feel like, okay, I asked for something and it happened and I'm happy. <laughs> you were, you were willing to ask for it. You, it, it, it was interesting. It's interesting because you had to both make a singular decision and you had to wait. Life is not made solely on waiting but it's also not made solely on the episode of the TV show where the you know person tells their boss that they're leaving and then then the next scene is is where you are now in Knoxville it like it takes both but I, what i find fascinating about this line of discussion is i think when we're in a situation maybe folks can relate to this where whatever level of pretty good is where they are right now. They're in a level, I mean, you were not in a level of pretty good. You were in a level of drowning, which ultimately was kind of beneficial in a lot of ways because it really lit the fire. But I I think that people, humans, can look at at another situation kind of like you would look and go, well, people are talking about being satisfied or people are are talking about feeling enriched by their lives. I think we can talk ourselves out of that gold by going, yeah, but kind of like the earlier topic about starting a business, but yeah, but I mean, like, is it really that good? You know, do people really have it that good? And I think it, you know, it's just very interesting when you do do the things to move in a direction of alignment in your life and you go, yes, (laughs) yes, it is different. This is worlds. It's like the difference between being in a great relationship that works Versus being in a relationship that just doesn't work. Being in, I guess, a life that just doesn't work. Absolutely. I think about it a lot of times like flow, you know, like, uh, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of flow, but like the idea that like once you are on your path and you're doing the thing or even like when you're playing a game and you get in that state of flow where you like you're so focused on the thing that it's like has the zen quality where you're just like it's the thing itself and the relationship between you know it's like trying to do a puzzle or something like that you get so obsessed with it that it's like nothing that you think about or everything that you think about is that one thing and it becomes like entrancing and to me that's like really what getting into in my opinion, like the best mode is that mode where you get like entranced by what you're doing. Um, and up to a certain point, I didn't really know that that's like what life could be like. So then what happened next? Okay. So then, so I'm in, in Knoxville, right? So I move up there. I'm really like have kind of my first like breath of fresh air, my first like 
change of feeling like, wow, this is like, this is awesome. This is like, I'm really enjoying this city. Like this feels really good. My wife is able to go back to school, which at the time, like when we moved to Naples, um, she didn't have a school down there that she could do the program she was trying to do. And so she was able to get back into school, um, which for her was something that she, you know, was very passionate and wanted to kind of pursue a different route. So that was super important to her. And, and obviously like me being able to be in the mode of being able to support her to be able to do that was super important. So that um, all of those things just felt awesome. Um, So fast forward a couple of a couple of years and you know, we, the gym, so there was this kind of weird balance where the gym was both a beautiful thing, but also something that I could definitely see that it wasn't going to be there for very long. Um, and when I say that, so when I was living in Florida, the gym was extremely successful and it was successful because of myself and really like kind of one other coach and well, really two other coaches. It was super successful because of having a very, very small team and kind of us working our asses off to make it happen. Um, And it made it very, very profitable and it made it very successful, but it also made it where, like I said, I hated life. Like it just did not, wasn't a very sustainable way of operating. Well, it kind of went the opposite way with Knoxville where the gym was, it was a lot more lax in terms of just the, the schedule was a little bit freer. It, it felt a little bit like it didn't feel like the, um, the pedal had to be on the gas all the time. Like it felt a little bit more relaxed, which was awesome from where I was coming from because that's really what I needed at the time. Um, but it also made it where I could kind of see like, I don't know if this gym is going to succeed doing it, you know, doing what they're currently doing. And needless to say, it didn't. Um, it didn't succeed, unfortunately. And I, I wish it would have because I absolutely loved the people. And um, it, was, it was an awesome spot. But when that shut down, it definitely left a lot of questions because then it left the question of like, okay, I really loved the city of Knoxville. I knew that I wasn't going to be there forever, but it definitely, um, I think in a lot of ways, it was Knoxville telling me that like, you're not really supposed to be here anymore. Um, you kind of got what you needed and you need to kind of like go somewhere else. (laughs) And, um, so I was trying to kind of figure out at the time I was doing, um, I was kind of trying to figure out like where I was going to go next. Like, am I going to go and do my own thing? Am I going to work some odd jobs around Knoxville and just kind of stay here until my wife graduates school? Um, long story short, like we came back to, I ended up moving back to Nashville. And when I did, it was a little bit of a step up in my company. And, and I was going to be working for a little bit more successful or not a little bit, a lot bit more successful gym. Um, Same, same company, just a different owner. And um, so I moved to Nashville and my wife was able to finish out her degree. And while she's finishing out her degree, we basically decided that Nashville was going to be like our, um, our moment of, of deciding our moment of our, it's kind of like going back to the drawing board. Okay. We're going to make this move, but we're going to make this move intentionally as a way to 
kind of plot out what our next venture is, where we're going to go next, how we're going to do it, what we're going to do. And so when we came back to Nashville, it was kind of the idea that like, we're going to put a timeline on this. We're going to light the firecracker and we're going to say like, okay, we really only want to stay here for about a year. And then we want to be somewhere else. We don't know where that somewhere else is, but we don't really want to be in Nashville. We don't want to be in Nashville long-term. We have a lot of friends there and that's awesome. But in order to be the people we want to be and grow the way we want to grow, we can't really stay in Nashville and do it. So we decide that we're going to try and figure out where we want to live. We start like just kind of throwing out things. Um, we try and figure out like where we would have job opportunities at, what would be like a logistical good move. Um, we kind of keep circulating and keep talking about Asheville, North Carolina. And it's a place that we used to come to just to kind of like, kind of like I'm talking about, it's a place we would go to a lot of times just to dream, just like, okay, what are we going to do with our lives? You know, and we would like ask each other, okay, well, where do you see yourself in like five years? Or where do you, you know, what do you see our dream house being? Like, where is it? Like what, you know, just kind of plotting out and dreaming, you know, like you do. And we kind of, we, we always had that place as like, that was the place we went to to dream, but we never really thought about that place as a place to live. It was more like, okay, are we going to live in Colorado? Are we going to move to California? Are we going to like, where are we going to live? And so we were kind of like played around with all these different places. And we kept that, we kept like thinking like, well, the place that feels most like home is Asheville, North Carolina. So why not just live there? <laughs> and uh, so it was kind of the place that it took us the longest to figure out that that's where we wanted to be. But then once we like, I can't even remember who, which one of us said it, but once we said it, it was like, Oh, well, duh. Why have we not thought about that? Like, that's obviously where we're supposed to be. It just makes the most sense. Like it's, it's the place that feels most like home to us. Like, why not just live in the place that feels like home? And from there, it was, it was kind of another like test from the universe of like, oh, okay, you want to move here? Let's see what you're willing to do to do it. So at that point, well, hang, hang on. I'm sorry to interrupt you again, but I, I, in a similar fashion, we talked about what doesn't feel like home, what feels like a place of the opposite of home, a place where you feel a refugee in, in that land, in that strange land. So I want to just linger here for a second and talk about what does the opposite of that feel like? What does home, how do you know in your experience when you've identified that place? It's a great question. Um, for me, it kind of, I noticed that when I was in Florida and I was kind of down in the dumps, not having a very good time, kind of hating life, uh, I felt like the sense that I got in Florida was, I always describe it as feeling like you're on Prozac. Um, <laughs> or I think Prozac's the right one. I don't know medications very well, but is Prozac like an anti-anxiety? Uh, I, I am not uh, qualified to answer this, but I think Prozac's an antidepressant. So I would assume it's a, like a leveling effect. I am not a doc. You know what? I, <laughs> I'm going to stay away from that. One. But I, I say that to say that it felt very numbing. It felt mm. very numbed out. So I felt like, 
the fact that there's no seasons in Florida feels very weird. Like as somebody who grew up with lots of different change in the seasons where, you know, in the summer it's hot in the fall, it starts getting cool in the winter it's cold. And you know, that change of season just feels like it's just kind of part of the adventure, right? It's like the change helps to kind of distinguish parts of the year Mm. to me. Like the fact that there were no seasons felt very, very strange. It was probably one of the weirdest feelings where it was like, okay, it's Christmas, but it's hot out. Like it, it just felt very weird. And so when I was down there, the mixture of that and then the fact that the landscape was also just like very monotone, like the landscape is just flat, nothing but flat. And like, it just, there's no real change in the diversity of what you're looking at. Like, uh, you know, you can look out and see, you know, six miles in front of you. Like, it's a very weird thing where like, to me, like the diversity of what I've been grown, like I had gotten used to growing up, you know, in, in kind of the like Northern Tennessee area where there's a lot of like, there's a lot of hills. Like it's not like huge mountains, but there's a lot of diversity in what you're looking at, right? Whether it's the forest or whether it's like looking at just the texture of the ground, a lot of rock and a lot of like, um, you know, clay and different, different textures. Down in Florida, you don't see any of that. Um, and to me, that was extremely depressing. Like it, I found it very, and I think some of it was that it just didn't feel, didn't feel like home at all. Like it felt like almost being all like on a, on like an alien world or something where it's like, it doesn't feel, there's no semblance of home here. There's nothing that feels like, um, like my best memories of being a child and like running through the woods. Like there's no, I mean, there's like the Everglades, but there's no real like forest. Like we have forests in Tennessee. Like there's not really that sense of like really, really diverse um, terrain mixed with that real lush, um, you know, forestry of like, you know, trees super tightly knitted in towards each other. Um, and it just feels, there's something to me about mountains and hills and even trees that have this like safe quality to them where it almost feels like when, like the first time I can remember the first time going out to even like the, um, the Smoky mountains when I was a kid, my dad would take me out to the Smoky mountains for us to, um, just, you know, just literally drive through and get to see all the leaves changing during fall and stuff. And just feeling like there's something about those mountains that make you feel like it's a hug. Like it just feels like it's hugging you. And, and to me, it was like that feeling of like safety, that feeling of home and that feeling that like, there's something that's right here. Like it, it's kind of hard to describe, but I definitely think that the feeling of a hug is best, the best explanation I can give you because that's the feeling I got when I came to Asheville for the first time. It just felt like I was walking back into the Smoky Mountains and like, it just felt like, oh, it just feels like, okay, I'm home now. That's fascinating. I mean, partly because it connects to your past. It, it connects somewhat to your childhood. Yeah, and definitely like, you know, growing up, like I, uh, you know, I, I definitely had a lot of like good memories of like climbing trees and enjoying the forest, like hanging out in the forest with my friend. And like, there wasn't really, you know, I, I grew up as a kid of divorce. So my, my parents divorced when I was fairly young. And so there was always something that was like, 
an escape away from what life was that was like up in a tree. So like, I loved being up in trees because it felt like it, it felt like there was something that was like, um, there was a distinguishing quality about it feeling like it was my own world. Like it didn't feel like nothing else mattered to me, but what was like in my 360 degree vision, like, and anything that was below me, I could just like forget about, like, it was just kind of that, um, that sense of feeling like that was my home, like being up in a tree. And so I think there was definitely like a lot of romantic elements of trees and that interconnectedness between how those made me feel and like what Asheville and kind of the connection between a lot of, um, yeah, that same like mountain tree kind of combination, uh, that really made me feel, uh, yeah, made me feel like it was my home. So that, what a, what a, what a great place for anybody to find the, this, uh, for anybody to find this place that is home for them, that's unique to them. And so <laughs> you said, that's where we want to go. And what, tell us about that journey. Cause it doesn't sound like that was easy or straightforward. No, not, not in the slightest. Um, it was, you know, I remember, I actually remember specifically where I was when, uh, Chess and I were talking about it and talking about how like Asheville, yeah, that's the place that we both want to be. And I remember like, I remember like having that distinct conversation of like, is this, is this the place? Is this the place? And I remember both of us being like, yeah, yeah, this is the place you know? And it was kind of from that moment, it was like the nugget of like, okay, this is, this is the piece that we need. And now that we have this piece now, like now we can kind of push the pedal to the metal and go towards what we've been trying to figure out for, for really like, I would say, I'd say it's probably, probably been about seven years in the, in the working of trying to figure that out, trying to figure out like where home was for us. And so once we decided like this was going to be our home, it really became a thing of like, okay, um, what, at what point are you going to make it your home? That was kind of like the message that I got was like, okay, if you believe, if you truly believe that this is your home, what are you going to do to prove it? And it felt like, okay. It felt like it was kind of the onus was on me. Like if I wanted to make this my home, I had to like kind of show that like, this is going to be my home. And so there were a couple of different things that had to be done at that point. So we decided like we had that marker of a year, right. For how long we were going to stay in Nashville. So our, let's see, we had moved in, I'm trying to think. I think we had moved in in like into our apartment in like November, maybe. And this was like we decided that August first was when we were going to be in Asheville. We had zero plans at the time for how we were going to do it. We didn't have anything lined up. Neither one of us had jobs. We didn't know anybody in Asheville. We literally had zero clue of what we were going to do or how we were going to do it. All we knew was that we wanted to live in Asheville and we were going to make that happen. So Chess is, you know, she just graduated. Um, she graduated with her, her second master's. Um, this master's was in social work. So after she graduated, which by the way, graduating and then moving to a different state has its own little things because not everybody has like 
the same uh, same system for yeah. licensing and yeah, exactly. And so we knew it was going to be a little bit of a hiccup along the way to try and figure out like what all we needed to do and how we needed to do it. We'd also moved um, to different a different state before, right? Because we had moved to Florida, and that's its own world of discomfort because everything's different. You know, you've got to get new tags, new licenses, new new everything. It's very very expensive to move. Um, and having done it a lot of times, I can attest to the fact that it's extremely expensive to move. Um, but we knew that that's where we wanted to live. We knew that's where our home was for us. So we said, okay, what, what's something we can do? Well, we can travel to Asheville and just see, you know, okay, let's just like throw some darts on the dartboard and see if anything, you know, if anything strikes. And so at the time, you know, I, I had a decent amount of experience in the fitness industry. So I was like, okay, well, I will just start looking at gyms, see if there's any gyms that, you know, kind of are similar in the way that they uh, do things to my own philosophy, my own methodology, and maybe I can kind of click with one. I end up finding a gym that had hosted a MoveNet certification before. And, you know, I, I'd been in MoveNet for a very long time, uh, had lots of experience as a trainer. I, so I basically contacted them and said like, Hey, um, this is kind of what I'm thinking. And I basically proposed to them that I could come in and offer MoveNet classes and be a trainer at their gym and kind of do like a little bit of like, almost like a collaboration where it wouldn't be like me exclusively working for the gym, but it would be like almost like a shared partnership where I could, uh, do classes there and I could do training there and we can kind of figure out what makes the most sense in terms of how it would be compensated and that kind of thing. And at the time, like this is literally like cold, cold calling. Right. So I, I don't know this person at all. I don't know anything about them. I don't really know much about their facility. The only thing I know, the only thing I know to go off of is the fact that they had hosted a MoveNet certification before. So, and at this time I, um, I'm trying to think of where I was at. So I was a level three certified trainer through MoveNet. So, you know, I had obviously like kind of put my time in with MoveNet. And then, like I said, I had a pretty extensive background. So I basically just said like, Hey, uh, I'm going to be in Asheville. Can we meet? You know, like I, like I said, I didn't really have, um, I, mean, I actually don't remember who set up the meeting because I remember initially sending something out saying like, Hey, this is what I'd like to do. What do you think about it? They may have, I can't remember. I think they said like, if you're in town sometime, let me know and we'll figure out a meeting or whatnot. So Chess and I just decided like, Hey, we need to go to Asheville and uh, figure out like where we're going to live, figure out all this. So we drive to Asheville for the day. Uh, I'm trying to think if we stayed the night or not it may have just been a day trip, which is like a five hour drive. <laughs> so, and so I create this PowerPoint presentation about what I want to do at this gym. And, you know, to kind of go back to what we were talking about real early on, my initial thought about doing something on my own was always that I would do it with a partner. So I would do it as like, um, okay, I have this idea and I could be the passion. And then this person already has this established business. So I could kind of piggyback on their established business. I could help get gr help grow their business, but also not have to worry about the bookkeeping and the kind of that side of things. And so I went there and created this pre PowerPoint presentation 
I basically took them through like, this is what I think I could do for your gym. This is how I think I would do it. Um, you know, this is what I'm interested in, all this kind of stuff. And uh, needless to say, I think it kind of took, took him back a little bit because I don't know if you really had that done before where somebody just came in and, um, but I felt on fire. Like I just felt awesome about it. Like I felt like it was the first time where I had laid out, like, just like what I did when I kind of like, when I was in Florida and I said, like, I'm going to make this big decision and jump off this cliff. It was kind of a similar thing when I decided like, I'm going to do MoveNet classes in Asheville and it would be cool to work with this guy, but I'm just going to do them in Asheville. And maybe he wants to work with me. And that's literally the energy I came in with. I came in with the energy of like, mm. if you want to do it with me, that would be cool. But if you don't want to do it with me, like I'll figure out a different gym. I'll be here in Asheville. I'll be doing it. Um, so if you want to partner with me, that'd be awesome. And that was basically like how we left it. <laughs> you didn't <laughs> and, need um, I basically just came in and said like, Hey, I'm going to be moving to Asheville. I'd really love to be able to, to train and work here. I'd love to be able to do this kind of project that I've, thought about and um and I think it was like one of those moments where I had I had so much energy towards like this is just gonna happen like I just felt I uh, felt so confident that this was gonna be the thing and so once I kind of set out on the path it was really just a matter of okay then he so I I told him you know kind of everything about it we we he ended up calling back and I was like okay, we were kind of trying to figure out like all the logistics of how it would work. Well, I ended up being like, uh, I don't think it's really going to work for like the way that I want to do it. The way that you're talking about it is not the way that I want to do it. Um, and I just kind of left it at that. So I was thinking like, okay, that's, that's out of the running. I got to figure out a different gym or whatnot. And then he calls me back like a week later, or maybe it was just a couple of days later and, uh, and says like, okay, let's do it let's do it exactly how you painted it out. Let's just, let's go for it. And, um, and it was like, Oh, wow. Okay. So then I, I had like lined up for myself literally out of thin air. There was no like job posting. There was no like, Hey, can you come and work for us? It was just, I called this person. I, you know, I, I contacted them said like, Hey, are you interested in doing this thing? And you know, they went for it. <laughs> so well, I would you, definitely say, Oh, I, I'm sorry. As, finish what you were saying there. No, I was just going to say as a motivator, if anybody has thought about like whether or not to just put yourself out there and just say, like, just make the thing happen. Like that is a huge part of what my journey has been is just saying like, I'm going to do this thing and you'll get met halfway. You just have to trust that it will happen. Well, that, that's one of the reasons I was jumping in there is to ask you, how did you get to that place in your mind where you're taking this leap? You don't have answers to very important questions, i.e., how are you going to pay for rent? You don't even know where you're going to pay rent. but you're, you. And so why do you think you had this confidence? I think it was a combination of a few things. I mean, I think there there was... I think there was an element at which I had gotten at such a trusting place because I had seen, um, I had seen God, I'd seen the universe, like however you want to describe it. I had seen the universe meet me halfway. I had seen, I had learned how to use that trust muscle of like, 
it's going to work out. It's going to be fine. This is where I'm supposed to be. So it would be cool if you want to come along on the ride with me, mm. but I'm on this ride, whether you're with me or not. And I think there's, there's an element that you get to by starting to see. And some of that is because I was able to go through quite a few transitions of seeing it work out, seeing like, and it allowed me to build that trust of like, it'll work out. It, it's worked out before. You know, it's like when I was in Florida, I had zero safety net. I actually had worse stuff going for me at the top because, you know, my marriage wasn't doing great. My, like my job at the time, like that was okay. That was out the window. I owed money to my employer. I like, I had so many things going wrong for me and yet it all worked out. So I like had the ability to like, say like, no, I've got way more going for me now. I can for sure trust. If I could trust them, I can for sure trust now. All right. So, so you're on the, you're, you're, you're floating on the wings of this trust, this powerful trust that allows you to be very clear with, with what you're aiming at and not need the other person. And you carry that trust into a yes. Take us back to the story. Yeah. So, so once he said like, it's a go, yeah, let's do it. Like, we were both really excited about figuring out a way to like collaborate together. And it was like, it ended up being like perfect because it, I couldn't have picked like a more perfect person to like have this type of like connection with because it was like immediately it was like, okay, like how do we do this? Like how do we, and like we were like riffing off each other and like we were helping to develop kind of a game plan. And um, it ended up being like a really powerful thing where I just, I just kind of went with, um, my intuition of like what, what, who I needed to partner up with and how I needed to do it. And from then it just kind of became a thing of like, um, just allowing for that to like continue to go. So like at that point it was like less about trying to force anything and it was more just about like, okay, that's on track. Now I've got to focus on like, okay, now let's figure out like where we're going to live. Okay. And at the time, just to give you a, a point of uh, perspective, at the time that I decided like, okay, this is where we want to live. Our, our car, we basically had two cars. One of them was like almost done. Like it was, it was pretty much on the very end of its life. And we were, uh, had, had some debt and probably had like, I don't know, $400 in our bank account. We didn't have like any savings whatsoever. And we literally had like we didn't have really any reason to trust that it was going to work out we just knew that it was going to work out and we both were on the same page and and after we kind of made that jump then it was like okay well now how are we going to like find a place to live okay well it makes makes sense to to find a roommate or to like have roommates because you can save a lot on rent if like looking back I honestly wish we had never gone down that rabbit hole. I think that was a lack of trust. I think we very well could have just done it without roommates um, if we had trusted enough for it to happen. But I think we both weren't quite at that point where we were willing or ready to trust. So we ended up um, finding people who were going to be our roommates and uh, ended up finding, and this was all down to like the wire, like literally. So in July, um, 
So we ended up, we had the date for August 1st is when we wanted to move to Asheville, right? So I told um, the guy who we were kind of partnering for this gym, um, I told him like, I will be in Asheville August 1st, hell or high water, I'll be there, right? And then in July, so as, as of this time, I don't have any accommodations lined up. I don't have any place we're going to stay. We, we literally are still in our lease until like November for our apartment complex. So literally everything is saying like, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to have this timeline. So we, in July, towards the end of July, I say, well, if I'm going to make this happen, I've got to quit my job. This is like serious because you know Chessa at the time didn't have like we didn't have anything to fall back on like Chessa didn't have a job at the time and I had this this full-time gig and for a company I'd worked for for a pretty long time so I'd worked my way up you know and I basically just had to say like okay bye like I don't know what to do um because I don't really have like I have this partnership starting to develop with this guy but there's no like guaranteed income. Like I'm not getting a salary or anything. It's just like, we're just working out the details towards trying to like figure out a way to do classes and figure out a way to do training and stuff. But I have no like guaranteed income. So I literally just, I remember Chess and I like sitting together and being like, are we are serious about this? And am I actually going to do this? Cause it scares the living hell out of me to do this. And we were like, yeah, we're going to do it. So I met with my, my boss and I said, I'm putting in my two, two week notice. I'm going to be moving to Asheville, North Carolina. And, um, so, and at that time we didn't know where we we're going to live. I just knew I was going to be moving to Asheville, North Carolina. And so over the course of the next, um, it was really the next like month and a half. Let's see. What is it? July? No, let's see. Now I'm trying to think must've been mid July. Because we ended up literally within a two-week period, we found a, um, um, what do you call that? Somebody who comes in and finishes out your lease. Like a sublet a, uh, or something. Yeah, sublet. We found a sublet within a two-week period. We found a sublet. We, um, we found a place to live with these roommates. And we, um, and, and then the other, the car that I was saying was on its last leg ended up breaking down. So we had one car, we had, in, we had to put like some money into it and it ended up not working. So we ended up just draining money out of our, our account. So we basically had like zero money. We, I, my Subaru, which was the car we had at the time was like completely trashed. It was like super broken down, but we had to figure out a way to get it to Asheville because that was the only car we had. And so I took the moving truck. We literally like, it was like the day I'm trying to think it was like three or four days before we were going to move to Asheville that we actually like found the place we were going to move to and paid the deposit to like, to get it. And then literally like <laughs> we, we moved there. We don't have like really anything. And we, for the first like two weeks we're there, we don't really have anything. Like we were living the first two weeks, I think we lived off credit cards because we didn't know like what we were going to do. And then I think it was the third week we were living in Asheville. Um, Chessa gets a call to come in for an interview and she goes in for this interview and it's so random because she doesn't know how they found out about her. She doesn't ever remember applying for the job or anything. 
And so she goes in for the interview. They love her and hire her almost on the spot. And it's like a salaried gig. It's like legit job um, utilizing her, like her masters. So it's basically doing what she wants to do. And it's literally like within three weeks of moving there. So then she's got a full-time job. I'm starting to develop and, and starting to like do my classes and stuff. And, um, and so things are like actually like having some semblance of like, Oh, Whoa, like we're getting some traction. As soon as that happens, we like we, so I'm not a person that like, um, I don't do super well with like sharing a space. So I didn't know what be like having roommates, like what that would really entail or like how that would like work out. Cause I grew up with set brothers, but I hadn't really spent a lot of time like living in close course, bleh, excuse me, living in close quarters with really anybody. Because even though I had stepbrothers growing up, I lived with my mom and my dad's family is the one that had the step family. So I mostly lived with my mom. So I didn't really get that, like, you know, living with a bunch of people kind of thing. And so needless to say, the idea of living with roommates ended up being a terrible decision because it really ended up being a, um, just a terrible, like first couple of months of living in Asheville. But it, in some ways it was kind of like a trial that we needed because we kind of needed to understand um, I think both understand our own value and the trust that we put in to the universe and the trust we put into each other. There's a lot of lessons that we needed to learn along the way. Um, but needless to say, that just wasn't a great decision on the front end for us, but it was a decision we made nonetheless. And so we, um, after a couple of months, we ended up parting ways and ended up um, with all of a sudden we have, you know, uh, more rent than we expected to be paying. And, uh, you know, obviously a lot more dynamics with like, um, we, the place that we had ended up renting was really, really far away from the main city, uh, of Asheville. And so there was like this really long commute. I was commuting like 45 minutes to get to, uh, the main city to like do classes and that kind of thing. And needless to say, it was an experience that was very, very beneficial and one that we de definitely need to learn, but it was kind of like us learn earning our stripes for living in the city. Cause it kind of felt like once we kind of got through our first like six months or so, it was kind of like, Oh, okay. We kind of like, we're, we're actually like a part of Asheville now. Mm -hmm. Um, and the more we get here, you know, now it really feels like we're locals. Like, you know, I would say it was probably a year or so before we, at least for me, that before I really felt like I could call myself like a local to Asheville. Um, so that's that chunk of the story. <laughs> so, so powerful. Like the, the lack of resources that you had, I, you know, that just to me, that's like so helpful for folks to hear that may want to take a similar leap. Well, yeah. And it was so like the first, I would say the first like two or three weeks that we were living in Asheville, like I said, we had like a really broken down car that was on its last leg. Um, and cause both of our cars were, but one of them, we just had to like ditch because it was, um, it was literally at the last, last of its life. And so we came to Asheville with one car. And so then we both had jobs. So we had to figure out like what to do. Um, and so it ended up being like a really crazy thing where like 
for the first couple, for probably the first like three weeks or so, we had to share a car, but it was really complicated because we lived 45 minutes away from town and we live and we worked in different areas. And so it was like this very strange, like orchestra that we had to figure out with trying to figure out cars and everything. And, and then once we, once she got established, we were able to actually like go and get a second car, um, which was huge. Cause then it felt like, okay, well now we can like, we can kind of breathe a sigh of relief. Cause it like, it just felt like, man, we were like scrambling and like looking back at it. I'm like, man, it just felt like such chaos. Like, I don't know how we survived. Like, it just felt like we never, we never really had sense of it until it was like, you know, probably after about six or seven months, then it was like, oh, we can like kind of breathe and we can like realize like, oh, we actually made this move. We survived. You know, we got in, we got definitely got into some debt doing it. Um, we probably could have done it a little bit smarter, but it definitely learned a lot of lessons along the way. That's for sure. What I find fascinating about this is that so many times in this story, the rewards or the fruits of the risk taking don't always come immediately. Like with, with your first part of your chapter where you needed to get out of that situation you know, it sounded like the relief was much quicker when you got to Knoxville. But in other cases, this dream location, um, it took a really long time before it didn't feel like you were in absolute chaos, which leads me to wonder, in the midst of that six months to a year or whatever that time frame was of absolute insanity, lack of resources, scarcity, did you ever go to each other man, did we make the wrong decision? This seemed like such the right thing, but this is really hard. Did you ever doubt your, your decision? I think, uh, I never doubted that we were meant to live in Asheville. Um, I did doubt some decisions that we made along the way. Um, so for instance, like if I was to do it again, I wouldn't have gone the roommate route. Um, and if I was to do it again, I probably would have been a little bit more strategic with like, the thing, things like cars, even like figuring out a way to be a little bit more financially savvy for the transition. Um, a lot of those things, but there, it's definitely things that I needed to learn though. So it is tricky. It's always tricky to like backtrack and say, I would have done this because if you do that, then you don't learn the lessons and you may end up in a very worse spot later on. So I think in a lot of ways, um, I will definitely say a hundred percent, neither one of us ever doubted that Asheville was where we were supposed to live. I think it was more that the bumps and scrapes and stuff along the way kind of felt like it kind of felt like we had to earn our stripes a little bit. It kind of felt like we, if we wanted to make it here, it kind of felt like we had uh, somebody tell us real early on when we were moving. Um, they told us like Asheville's a place that will chew people up and spit them out. And like they said that in a way where it was like, it felt like, well, if we're going to make it here, it's going to be a little rough on the front end. Um, and I don't know if that was just like a self-fulfilling prophecy or if that was something that we're, um, but I've, I've heard that from several people where they say that like Asheville will really decide who it wants to live in its city um, because it's such a unique place. It kind of like, I don't know, in, in some ways it feels like the, uh, the wisdom of the area 
kind of has its own way of kind of like pushing people out or pulling people in. So it's really interesting to see the people who, you know, even over the time of like living here now, you know, we've lived here now for a little over two years and just being able to see, I've seen people come and go as we've been here Mm -hmm. and just being able to see like, it's a very unique place where you can kind of see that like some people move and they're just not willing to pay the price in order to stay here. There's like this weird sense of like, you kind of have to, you kind of have to, in a weird way, you kind of have to earn your stripes. You have a pound of flesh. There's like a weird thing. Yeah. And, and it feels, it feels different from other cities I've lived in. It doesn't feel that way with every city. It just feels like there's, there's certain cities that are like, um, they just, yeah, I don't know. There's something about it where it's a little bit more of a tumultuous place to, to try and stay. Mm. But if you stay for long enough, it's almost like the city will accept you kind of thing. Mm. It's an interesting thing. Well, thanks for listening to that episode. This is part one of my interview with Seth Budai. I'll be back next week releasing the part two, which is very much uh, diving into the launching of his business as a first-time entrepreneur. Again, if you want to check out what he's doing, you can go to theelementaltrainer.com. And if you want to support the podcast, please write a review, share it with a friend. And you can go to epicordinarylives.com if you want to go look at old episodes and Actually, if you want to write me, uh, I'm available at Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at EpicOrdinaryLives.com. Wherever you are, uh, I hope you're having a great week. We're coming in on the end of the year, the end of a very challenging 2020. So I hope you're well, whether you're alone, together, or whatever. Take care of yourself, and I hope you can continue to find those beautiful points of your own epic ordinary life. Take care.